Good morning, Church at West Franklin. My name is Josh Lynn. I'm the Missions and Connections Minister here. If we haven't gotten a chance to get to know each other yet, I look forward to that time. Uh, Today, if you have a copy of the scripture with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. You can start opening to that. If you don't have the scriptures with you, there's some probably under your chair. It'll also be on the screen for you. Uh, That's all well and good. I just want to give you a minute to get there if you want to join me there. Um, As I I come before you this morning, I'm thinking through, I bet a lot of people have family visiting either today or tomorrow or this weekend. I'm betting there's been a lot of extra cleaning, a lot of extra chores going on at a lot of houses. I know when I was growing up, there were parts of my house that never got cleaned unless we had company coming. Do you know those parts of your house? Okay, there's parts of my house now, too. I just want to make sure y'all are on the same page before I confess that. There's parts of our house that only get cleaned when company's coming over. And for some reason, I only get the urge to go and organize the different size screws that I keep in the garage right about the time while my wife is getting started to be stressed out because company's coming over, right? That's, that's usually when I have the urge to do those sorts of things. But when we're preparing for a guest, there's a lot of things that bubble up, right? We want to make sure that we uh, in, invite the guest into a wel- welcoming space. We want to make sure we're not forgetting things, right? And especially if one of those guests that's coming over is somebody that's really important to us, right? So imagine how much more cleaning you'd be doing if Matt Pearson was coming over to your house for the 4th of July. You want to make sure everything's scrubbed if Matt's coming over, right? Because Matt's the kind of guy who will go and check, isn't he? <laughs> would, would you go and check and, and see? His, and he'll come back and tell us, hey, their house was really clean. Or not, you know, maybe. I've never heard him say anybody's house was dirty, so that's good for you guys. But, uh, yeah, we want to make sure that the, the, the table is set, the guests are ready, right? The, everyone's comfortable. And in our passage today, we're going to see a guy named Simon who's a Pharisee, and he's invited over a special guest named Jesus. We're going to read and see what, what happens with that in just a second. But, but in the, the first century time, uh, the Pharisees or wealthy people or people who had means to host a big party would invite people over. Maybe there's a special rabbi visiting in town who's teaching. They would invite them to come over to their house so they could teach and talk. Or, uh, or maybe this, this Simon was wondering if Jesus really is a prophet. There's, th- at this point in Jesus' ministry, people are starting to follow him around. They have questions about who this Jesus person is. He's gotten into some, some uh, verbal altercations with some of the Pharisees already. The Pharisees, are, some, some of them are saying, well, who, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And here we have Simon the Pharisee inviting Jesus Come into my house and dine, okay? So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to read Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus, out loud, replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. Jesus says, a creditor had two debtors. 
one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. Her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you to open up your word, I would ask that that your spirit would move through your own word and through our hearts. Let Jesus' voice be the loudest in the room. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Be seated. At Simon's house, we can assume that he was probably a person of means. And so the setting of this dinner was in some type of courtyard, if you can imagine that. Think about your 4th of July gathering that you're going to or you're hosting today or that you're going to drive by. And imagine if you took all that stuff from the backyard and moved it to your front yard and all your neighbors who are walking by would pass by, see what's going on, right? They might stop and say hi. They might step in for a minute. If you've got some extra food, you might share it with them, right? All these things, right? Imagine your, your 4th of July is in the backyard. This is kind of, in the front yard, I mean, this is kind of what the, the setting is, right? There's a, probably a courtyard, but it's open. People can walk by and see and listen to what Jesus has to say, listen to what Simon has to say. There are probably lots of people who are not necessarily invited who are just kind of hanging out. What is this Jesus guy have to say today. And at the table, the invited guests are reclined, the scripture tells us, which means they're probably seated low to the ground on a table that's low to the ground with their feet out away from the table and their elbows rested on the table while they talk and eat, something like this, but way lower, right? So this woman, as she comes in, probably doesn't raise many eyebrows, even to the people who recognize her, because lots of people are probably walking by. It's not uncommon for people to stay and wait to see if there's extra food, to listen to what the teacher has to say. Simon doesn't even mention anything or think anything when we notice that she's present there. But what he notices is that the, the, the woman walks to Jesus' feet. Now, it's one thing for your backyard cookout to be happening on your front yard and your neighbors to walk by and stop and see what's going on, but it's a different thing when one of your neighbors approaches your guest of honor crying and starts rubbing their feet. That's different, right? So Simon is paying attention now, and notice what Simon says to himself. He says, this guy clearly isn't a prophet. This leads me to think that Simon had a reason to invite Jesus over. He's probably heard things about Jesus, right? Some say the Son of Man is John the Baptist, right? Some say that he's a prophet like Elijah, right? Who is this guy who's walking around that nobody knows who he is? Let me invite him in, and I'll judge for myself if this guy knows his stuff, if he passes muster, if this guy could even be a prophet. 
And then this happens, and, and Simon says to himself, of course this guy can't be a prophet. He doesn't even know who this is touching his feet. And if he did know who it was, he would never let her come that close. Look at this guy. Not a prophet. All to himself. But don't you love how Jesus answers people? <laughs> did you miss that the guy said this in his head? <laughs> and then Jesus says, I've got something to teach you, Simon. Right? All doubts should be ceased at that point in Simon's mind. But Simon doesn't know where he's going. First he says, I have a question for you. And then he tells him this parable. Right? This is the... Sometimes Jesus answers our questions in ways that we're not expecting. I think as we look through, especially the book of Luke, that has so many rich parables in it, a lot of times when Jesus is asked questions, he comes back to a parable. Let's look again at what he tells Simon. Starting in verse 41, he says, A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will he love more? 500 denarii? One denarii is about one day's wage for the average person. So 500 denarii would be enough for somebody to live on for almost two years, a year and a half or so. That's a lot of money, right? 50 denarii then is almost two months of wages, right? So these are, these are both large sums of money. But Jesus' point here is that both of them are debtors and both were forgiven, right? This is going to be important as we look into this later on. Also, Jesus takes this parable and then compares the hospitality given by the woman and by Simon. Simon, like, uh, imagine again, Matt Pearson's coming to your home for a 4th of July meal. What are the things you got to have there, right? And then what are the things that you really should have there if you want to honor Matt, right? Barbecue is going to be important, right? You got to have good barbecue on the 4th of July, right? That's right, right? So what are, what are the things that you have to have for an honored guest? In the first century, right, as people are coming in, think about dirty feet, walking in to your home, the first thing you want to have set out for them is a place for them to wash off their feet. The second thing that you want to do for them is to, to greet them with, a, with a, an appropriate kiss, right, to, to welcome them with love into your home. And the third thing that you want to do for them is you want to anoint their head with olive oil, which is maybe the strangest one for us, but it's, it's a sign of welcoming, right? Olive oil is, is a, a plentiful inexpensive oil but a kindness to do to offer to your guests and because of Simon's posture of his heart as he's inviting Jesus in he has questions about who Jesus is and maybe he's not rude but he's not necessarily going all the way with his hospitality maybe he's, he's missed some steps and I don't know how long the woman had been standing there watching Jesus how long she'd been thinking about doing this but I'll have to wonder if she picked up that Simon has missed some of these steps. What I think happened more likely is that she came to someone who she saw could forgive her of her sins and became overwhelmed with emotion. She, she brought the perfume which would normally be put on his head and couldn't even make it to his head. She had to stop at his feet and fall down weeping. Her tears were enough to wash his feet with. Her unbound hair, she wiped them with, and she couldn't even bring herself to look at his eyes. Instead, she took the perfume for the head and put it on his feet. There's a few things that I want us to see 
from these comparisons of hospitality and from this interaction that Jesus has with Simon and the sinful woman. The first one is that faith in Jesus is what saves us. It's nothing else. It's not being able to pay back your own debts, right? Jesus is making it clear in the parable here that that everyone is a debtor, right? You either owe a little or you owe a lot. You still owe something you can't pay. Your work is not going to be what helps you pay off your debt. Instead, it's going to be the gracious forgiveness that's given to you by the creditor, which Jesus sets up for, sets up in the parable as himself. Faith in Jesus is what saves us. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not by works, lest no one should boast. Because listen, if our works were what saved us, if it took something from us, if it took effort from us or doing from us, we could never pay it back. It'd be like trying to pay back a year and a half of salary to a creditor who's knocking at the door. It would be beyond that. Something you can never pay back. But because God is gracious, because Jesus forgives, he, as the creditor, right, takes that upon himself. Notice what happens when the creditor takes the debt on himself and forgives it. It's not just that the debt is erased. The creditor takes the debt, right? Somebody's, somebody's owed that money, right? It's the creditor who takes the loss. It's Jesus who pays for our sins. It's faith that saves us. And Jesus, although he talks about the woman's great love for him, at the end of his interaction with her, what does he tell her at the end? It's your faith that saves you. You can go. The second point for us to look at is that Jesus isn't looking for halfway hospitality. Both, both the woman and Simon approached Jesus with hospitality. They, Simon invited him into his home. He kindly asked him questions. He answered. He didn't, we, don't, we don't ever see Simon doing anything overtly rude to Jesus. He didn't go all the way in terms of hospitality, but he's the only, the only Pharisee to this point who's invited Jesus into his home. Simon isn't necessarily a terrible guy. But I have to wonder, where is it in our lives where we're inviting Jesus in out of curiosity or out of kindness, but we're not letting him see the messy stuff? Where are the places in our lives where we're being hospitable to let Jesus into the courtyard to share a meal, but not letting him see his ugly cry at his feet? Because Jesus is more interested. I think Jesus will meet us with our casual curiosity and come to the courtyard and answer our questions. He's more than capable of that. But I think that what Jesus values more is when we can bring our brokenness, our sinfulness, our hurt, and just fall at his feet and say, I need your forgiveness. It's by your grace that I'm saved, our faith being put in him. Simon is trying to test Jesus. The woman only knows that he's her only hope. So I would encourage you, and as we pray in a few minutes, I want to encourage you to come back to this question. Where is it that you let Jesus into the courtyard where you should be letting him, where you should be approaching his feet all the way? Because Jesus is looking for us to invite him in all the way to be a life-altering force in our lives. That woman walks away from her encounter with Jesus, changed. That's what we all are seeking. Next I want us to see that Jesus brings people together. My favorite part of this passage 
is after Simon has answered his question about the parable and says, I suppose the one who he forgave more is the one who loves the creditor more. What does Jesus do? He turns from Simon and he looks at the woman while still talking to Simon. The Pharisees would do anything they could to avoid unclean, sinful people in their presence. They would do anything they could to avoid touching them. They would do anything they could to avoid eye contact with them. They thought themselves better. The the elite people, right? Jesus tells other parables about the prideful Pharisee who goes to the temple and boasts about how he's grateful that he's not like other men. I'm such a good man and walks back out while the sinner stands in the temple and beats his chest. The tax collector saying, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Forgive me. And only one of those walks out justified is what Jesus tells us. The Pharisee would have nothing to do with the woman on the other side of the room. But Jesus looks at her while he speaks to Simon and puts them on the same playing field. I think it's at that point that Simon probably picks up on it. Oh yeah, I owe something I can't pay back to. I think it's at that point that Simon is picking up the theme that Jesus is talking about and saying, you may be a Pharisee, but you have a debt you can't pay. This woman has approached me with hospitality, with love, and through her faith, she's forgiven. I think that's also an invitation to Simon. We don't know that he takes it. But it's an invitation to Simon to be offered the same forgiveness that he offers the woman. Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that her sins are there. In fact, Jesus acknowledges that her sins are many, confirming back to Simon that he does know who's there at his feet. But the forgiveness is offered for both of them, just like in his story, the one who owed a little and the one who owed a lot. He looks at Simon, he looks from Simon to the woman and says, do you see this woman? Before that moment, I don't think Simon did. What Simon saw definitely before that moment and maybe after was a sinful woman. Simon saw what she was, not who she was. But what Jesus is calling us to is to see both ourselves and each other for who we actually are, not what we are, not what we are involved in, not what sins we have committed, not what sins we haven't committed. But who are you? Do you see this woman? Jesus saw her. I'm going to show a picture on the screen now. And it's a pop quiz. Can anybody tell me who is, who's this a portrait of? Van Gogh. All right. There's several people in the room who instantly recognize the the picture of Van Gogh, right? What is the most important or biggest fact that you know about Vincent Van Gogh. Chopped off an ear. This is a self-portrait of Vincent Van Gogh while he was in a mental asylum right after he had chopped off his ear and he painted a picture of himself with the bandage still on the ear. How would you feel if you became famous for your lowest moment? The darkest time in your life, if you have, maybe you've never thought about chopping off an ear, that's probably a good thing, but think about the time where you got closest, okay? 
What if you became famous for that moment? What if the whole world knew your name and knew your darkest moment? The thing that sent you to a mental hospital in a downward spiral, the thing that probably helped make you famous. So not only what if everybody knew it, what if that's what you were famous for? Vincent chopping off his ear probably helped lead to the popularity in his paintings. People said, oh, that's a painting from that guy who cut off his ear? But not until after he died. Then his paintings started gaining popularity. You can probably name a few of them. Starry Night is probably the most famous Van Gogh painting, right? You can go through and look through hundreds of his paintings that are all around the world. I also stumbled upon a fun fact as I was looking this up. The last time a portrait of Van Gogh was sold that I can find was 1998. It sold in an auction in New York City, similar to this one, for $71.5 million. What I wonder, can your darkest moment and your immeasurable worth be true at the same time? Can we see people in their darkest times know the worst thing that they've done, see the hardest parts of their life that they think they can never recover from, and value them, love them? Because Jesus can, and that's what he's calling us to while he's looking at the woman and speaking to Simon. Do you see her? Jesus knows that Simon sees her sin, her metaphorical ear is chopped off in that community. Everybody knows her darkest moments. But can Simon see her like Jesus sees her? I wonder if we can see ourselves like Jesus sees us. Because both things are still true. Your darkest moment is still your darkest moment. The hardest point in your life is still the hardest point in your life. You still did the things that you did. But it's also true that Jesus values you so much that he gave his life for you. Way more than an ear chopped off and a $71.5 million portrait. It goes beyond that. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He wants to be close with you, so much so that he gave his life for that, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the payment of your debt. So whether you're sitting here this morning and you got a 500 denarii debt didn't even know what a denarii was before this morning. Or you're sitting here and you walked in saying, yeah, I might owe a little. Just know that Jesus is the one who's going to pay that for you. Yeah. It's in his name that we're going to pray right now. I want to remind you too, as we're praying, take a moment to think. Where is it that you're only inviting Jesus in to the courtyard of your life? And where are you bringing him in all the way? Are you letting Jesus see you ugly cry? <laughs> Can you even make it past his feet? Invite Jesus into that space today. And remember, your darkest moment can be true, but your worth is still true. Father God, we come before you today, thankful for your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that Jesus sees us. Thank you that he sees me. And despite 
the darkest moments of my life, of Vincent Van Gogh's life, of a sinful woman's life, of a Pharisee's life, despite the darkest moments of those times, he sees us as valuable, so much so that he gave his life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for paying our debts. It's in the name, your holy name, that we pray these things. Amen.